I'm Eileen Ray McCann for Circle of Blue. This is Speaking of Water, a look into vital water topics that often flow beneath the surface of the daily headlines. When President-elect Joe Biden takes office in January, the change in U.S. leadership will signal a clear break with the previous four years of the Trump administration, especially for environmental policy. How big will the break be? And what will be the priorities for water? Circle of Blue reporter Brett Walton hosted a roundtable discussion with three distinguished experts about what a Biden administration might mean for federal water policy. Brett's guests include Heather Cooley, who is the director of research at the Pacific Institute, where she works on a variety of water and climate issues. Another guest is Anne Castle, a senior fellow at the Getches Wilkinson Center for Natural Resources, Energy, and the Environment at the University of Colorado Law School. From 2009 to 2014, Castle was the Assistant Secretary for Water and Science at the U.S. Department of the Interior. And the third guest is Eric Schaefer, who is the Executive Director of the Environmental Integrity Project. Schaefer also led the EPA Office of Civil Enforcement from 1997 to 2002. Here's Brett Walton. Thank you all for being here. I want to start with a big question, and that is how the Biden administration will deal with the legacy of the Trump administration. So I guess let's start with with Eric Schaefer. Uh, How do you see these next four years as a response to the previous four? Well, I hope the break between what the Biden administration does and what the Trump administration did is a very big one. Uh, I'll start with the last administration's attempt to remove a lot of waterways from the protection of the Clean Water Act. That's the so-called Waters of the U.S. rule, which essentially would remove a lot of valuable wetlands and streams from the protection that you get under the Clean Water Act. And that's a problem because that means states and in some cases local governments are left to clean them up on their own. And that can be a very challenging task. you know, the localities or the states may not have the resources, and it has to be said, they may not have the political will that you should be able to count on from the federal government to, to protect waters that are important to all of us. So I, I hope they get rid of that regulation, which is just now taking effect, and replace it with something better. I understand that has to be done carefully and with attention to the law. But one thing I can say is, There's not a lot of science behind, well, many things the Trump administration did, but uh, among them, their attempt to write a lot of wetlands and streams out of the Clean Water Act, not backed by science, uh, not really good law. So I hope that gets changed. I think you'll hear from uh, Heather and and Laura, and we'll, we'll be talking about racial equity. I think part of making sure that we are getting a water program in the U.S. that is fair, that does give everyone equal protection under the law, is making sure the help the federal government gives to communities for both wastewater treatment and for cleaning up unsafe drinking water problems 
goes not just to urban areas where there are obviously needs, but to rural parts of the country, West Texas, for example, where uh, counties or small towns can be almost entirely Latino and where the water is really quite contaminated. And these are folks that don't get enough attention from the federal government and may be most at risk. So I'm hopeful that the Biden administration will put a spotlight on those communities and make sure they're getting the clean water services that they need. I'll pause there so others have a chance to. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, I want to turn to Anne Castle now. You work a lot with Western water policy, uh, and that's a big part of the portfolio at the Department of the Interior. What kinds of shifts do you see uh, in the Biden administration on those issues? One of the primary priorities of the incoming Biden administration is the impact of climate change. And we've all seen that water is on the leading edge of climate change impacts. And I think the Biden administration will be paying much more attention to those climate change impacts in connection with federal permitting decisions or awards of grant money or environmental reviews or construction of federally funded projects. It was previously the case that all of those decisions took climate change impacts into account. And those could be a broad range of impacts, but there could definitely be some impacts on water. The Trump administration has very much tamped down, if not eliminated, consideration of climate change impacts in connection with flood risk management or National Park Service decision-making or Endangered Species Act regulations. And, and I think we will see that reversed as part of the incoming Biden administration. I think we'll also see much more emphasis on consideration of environmental impacts in general, but specifically on water project permitting, it, not just water projects themselves, but the impact of projects that are being federally permitted on water resources. So things like the Keystone Pipeline, the Enbridge Pipeline, offshore drilling. Eric mentioned already the Waters of the United States rule. There are similar types of rules that may undergo reconsideration like state certification under the Clean Water Act, what's called 401 certification. Um, so I think in general, we'll see much more emphasis on environmental impacts. And then finally, the priority of the incoming administration on COVID recovery implicates larger public health issues. So I think uh, we'll see reconsideration of uh, regulations on PFAS, on lead pipe remediation, and then certainly, uh, again, with respect to the related racial equity priority, I believe this administration will look very seriously at the disproportionate impact of COVID on communities of color and specifically Native American communities, where we know that 
some of the problem in COVID incidents is attributable to lack of access to clean water. I'm sure we'll be talking more about that, but I think the Biden administration is committed to ensuring adequate water infrastructure in Indian country. I want to bring in uh, Heather Cooley, who has worked uh, with her colleagues at the Pacific Institute on opportunities that the Biden administration might have for water. Uh, So Heather, looking at the administration's priorities, what things might they be focusing on? The the Biden-Harris team have announced four uh, priorities, COVID response, economic recovery, climate change, and racial equity. And at least the initial language uh, around each of these priorities doesn't address water. Uh, Water is certainly a theme through all of them. COVID response, for example, uh, you know, we have seen and and know that hand washing is one of the most effective strategies for slowing spread of the virus. And even prior to the pandemic, tens of millions of Americans didn't have access to safe, affordable water. Uh, We know that it's now even worse as as unemployment remains high. So the issue of affordability is becoming an even greater challenge. So, you know, there is an obvious opportunity here to address COVID and, and again, slow the spread by providing safe, affordable water to everyone in the U.S. Similarly, on, on the issue of economic recovery, Uh, There will be a lot of investments made and and efforts made to spur the economy and and infrastructure undoubtedly will be a part of that conversation and and water infrastructure can and should be part of that. We know that investments in water infrastructure are are good investments. They they have a high rate of return uh, over the long term. Um, And in the near term, they can provide jobs and stimulate the economy. So, you know, water must be part of that. Um, We know that, and and maybe we could talk a little bit more at a later time, but we know that those investments need to be different than the 20th century investments need to be sort of modern 21st century. So we could talk a bit more about that uh, later, but water can be part and must be part of economic recovery. Um, The the other issue is uh, around racial equity. And and here too, there's, there's a very strong link with water. Uh, where study after study has shown that Black, Brown, and Native American households are more likely to have unsafe water or to have inadequate infrastructure or can't afford basic water and sanitation. And so, you know, addressing some of these inequities will be and should be central for for this administration. And, And it gets to the infrastructure piece, but there are also a need for programs and policies, and, and even at a federal level, some affordability programs that, that can help to address this, this issue. And finally, with climate change, I mean, climate and water are inextricably linked. Uh, we know that one of the ways and one of the most critical ways that climate change is going to affect uh, society is through impacts on water. And so we have to be thinking about not only what the opportunities are for advancing water resilience around making water systems uh, more resilient to a a more variable and uncertain future, but also thinking about the climate mitigation opportunities that water can provide by reducing greenhouse gas emissions or even increasing soil carbon storage. So we've got climate change, we have racial equity issues, we have infrastructure, which is a perpetual topic of debate on Capitol Hill. The question is how these issues become policy and become things that are put into practice. My next question is seeing the administration now make moves on appointments and the the cabinet and the government begins to take shape. What is the role of the appointees to head these agencies 
and how much can the agencies themselves and the administration itself do to address water on its own. Uh, Eric, so how do you see the, the EPA structure, the, the people appointed to lead it, affecting the policies that get put in place? The people picked to head the agency, uh, really any agency, any big federal agency that has a lot of responsibility, but particularly one that has significant regulatory and enforcement authority, which EPA certainly does, are back the leadership of those organizations. That's very important. Ideally, you want somebody with some experience, enough experience such that you don't have to learn everything on the job. You don't have a lot of time to do that in federal government, especially when you're a political appointee. You're not always in control of your calendar. I think maybe Anne can speak to that. You get hit by crises and things that come up that you know aren't in your aren't in your plan, and you have to deal with them. I think for anybody who heads EPA, in particular, it's going to be important to send out a message that environmental protection is back at the core of EPA's mission. It's no longer just going to be a vehicle for doling out favors to you know, oil and gas companies and mining companies. That enforcement matters, decisions will be science-driven, and that environmental justice will be an overarching concern and drive everything that people do at EPA. And I think having that message come from the top and having it reiterated and then having the leaders walk the walk is really important. I, I you know, I just have to emphasize that you need the energy and the commitment of the career staff who ultimately are going to do the work you're asking them to do. So developing really strong relations with people in the water program and being able to work across lines with people in other programs and with other agencies is really important. But you need to motivate that staff and they need to have a clear sense of mission. They need to understand that you have their back as long as they're you know, working within that mission and, and doing the best they can. And with that, there's a lot you can do with the right appointments. And, and for uh, interior and for Western water issues, how do the appointees play a role there? Well, I think they play a very large role. And, and I think just in general, the executive branch will be able to uh, put its stamp on water policy. A lot of the things that we've talked about have been done by executive order or secretarial order or order directives from the heads of agencies. All of those things can be rethought in a new administration. Some take longer than others. Executive orders, secretarial orders, those can be done relatively quickly. If regulations are in place that were going to be rethought and potentially modified, that will take longer. But those things can be set in motion very quickly with a new administration by the political appointees. And Eric is so right that the work and carrying out of the political direction by career staff is monumentally important. 
But I think that in these agencies that we're talking about that deal with water resources, that deal with environmental impacts, the career staff is committed to the public service mission of protecting resources, of furthering the best interests of the American people. So I think that we will see those kinds of changes. Executive orders and agency rulemakings are things that the administration itself can do. But for a large part of uh, an environmental agenda, Congress will have to be a part of that. Uh, infrastructure is something that each of you has talked about as a potential compromise issue, and it's been talked about for several years as a potential bipartisan uh, area of an agreement. What might a water infrastructure compromise look like in these next four years, Heather? I do think there will be and think there needs to be some progress around infrastructure, and, and of course that has an important piece for water. I do think, though, in this, I mean, the, the federal government has played a a long role in infrastructure investments. And, but most of those uh, has been around sort of massive federally subsidized dams, large treatment plants, extensive pipelines. And so I, you know, I think if we're thinking about a more modern 21st century approach, uh, we need to be thinking about alternatives. It's not just about extracting more water from rivers uh, and from groundwater aquifers. Um, it's thinking about opportunities related to uh, water reuse, water efficiency, stormwater capture. You know, it's thinking about lead pipes, frankly, uh, and thinking about distributed infrastructure. So, you know, it, it's also another component, which we historically haven't done, but I, but I think what we're starting to, to move in this direction is to think about green infrastructure and to think about nature-based solutions, including restoring upper watersheds and wetlands. And so, you know, historically the emphasis has been on gray infrastructure with respect to these investments, um, but we need to be thinking about the system more broadly and to include the environment as part of that. And then finally, and, and this gets to the issue of climate change as well, with these investments, we need to be sure that they are helping us adapt to a more variable and uncertain future. And so we need to be thinking as well about smaller sort of modular systems um, that can perform better under this future that we're facing. And you, you've talked briefly about the potential for collaboration around drinking water issues for Native American reservations. Can you expand on that and what the opportunities are there? Yes, absolutely. As a number of us have said, the pandemic has disproportionately affected communities of color. And in fact, the CDC has found that the incidence of COVID among Native Americans is three and a half times the rate in the white population. And we also know that Native American households are 19 times more likely to lack indoor plumbing than comparable white households. So COVID has shown a light on those inequities and the Biden administration has signaled its interest in helping to solve that problem. Uh, it impacts uh, the COVID recovery, it impacts public health, it impacts economic recovery uh, because there's infrastructure involved and clearly there's a racial equity element. So the 
The problem can take a number of different forms on Indian reservations. There may be a simple lack of pipes to convey clean water to households, but there may be a water system in existence, but the source has been contaminated by historical mining or agricultural runoff. There may be infrastructure that is deteriorating and is no longer reliable and can't serve the communities. So there are a number of different ways that Indian reservations have experienced a higher incidence of lack of access to clean water. That can be solved. It takes commitment. It also takes coordination among various different agencies in the federal government because just like the problems fall into different categories, there are different agencies with jurisdiction to solve those different problems. So coordination among the agencies in the executive branch is key to pool their resources, to identify the reasons for failures to address this issue in the past. And some of those are jurisdictional, some of those are unnecessary regulations, um, but a commitment to solving that problem would motivate the federal agencies to identify the barriers and to remove those barriers. It will also take funding, and that's been alluded to before. Um, but I think that the interest in, in infrastructure spending, the potential for additional stimulus money that could be directed uh, to solving this problem, those things in combination with the recognition that this is a racial equity problem can give us some hope for significant infrastructure funding available. It's interesting you bring up some of the institutional administrative barriers. Uh, that leads me to my last question here, and, and that is if you think there is a particular policy or change that has great leverage that the administration could use to influence water decisions across all these areas we talked about, from climate change to environmental justice to contaminated groundwater cleanups to Colorado River issues to tribal issues. Water connects with so much. Is there kind of a core policy or, or change that the administration should look at? And I guess we'll start with Eric on this one. So let's see, I can uh, maybe come at that from a couple of different directions. As you've heard from Anne and Heather already, climate change is already here. It's not something that that's just about sort of forecasting what's going to happen 25 or, or 50 years from now. I mean, science continues to look at those models, but we're already experiencing the effects. Uh, we've been debating what to do to limit carbon emissions for at least 20 years in the US, we've made some incremental progress. We don't have the national or frankly global caps on fossil fuel emissions that we need to control global warming. And I don't think we're gonna get comprehensive climate legislation out of this Congress. I think that's off the table. So we need to do the best we can to 
limit emissions, and some of that can be done by regulation, but we also need to face the fact that climate change has arrived in the Washington, D.C. area, in the Chesapeake Bay region, where I live. We get much more rain than we used to, consistent with predictions from the climate models, and the storm events that come are more severe. They're more frequent and more severe. That's overloading the systems we have for managing stormwater or agricultural runoff. They were planned for a drier climate and they don't work now. So one of the very first things that could be done, I think nationally and, and some of this through regulation and some through sort of example and, and policies that may not be enforceable but could move states in the right direction, is to just require that when planning infrastructure investments, when looking at how you're going to manage stormwater or agricultural runoff, you factor in the big increases we're expecting to get from you know, more frequent storm events and heavier rainfalls, especially in coastal areas. That needs to be built in to planning and into regulation. If we did just that, that could have a significant impact. And it would it would move us toward the kind of green infrastructure investments that Heather was talking about. It would help people understand this is something we need to deal with now. Um, I, I want to pick one area that I where I think the new administration can take advantage of an unexpected Supreme Court decision for a long time. Industrial polluters and also sometimes um, municipalities and counties have been pushing wastewater into groundwater. And that's driven by a kind of out of sight, out of mind um, mentality sometimes. A lot of that groundwater, and this is especially true for uh, any wastewater treatment plants, whether they're industrial or municipal, a lot of that groundwater sits right next to rivers and streams. And the pollutants that are in the groundwater obviously bleed into those surface waters, those rivers, streams, or lakes, or estuaries, for that example. The Supreme Court in this summer, uh, surprisingly, in the 6-3 decision, ruled that if you are pushing pollution into groundwater that's then getting ejected through the groundwater into rivers and streams, you are violating the Clean Water Act. You need to get a permit, and that permit is supposed to limit those discharges. So that's a Supreme Court decision. The, the Trump administration's water of the US rule insists that it, you can put pollution into groundwater, have it leak into rivers and streams and be exempt from the Clean Water Act. The Supreme Court has struck that idea down altogether. I hope the Biden administration will take that Supreme Court decision and, and make it effective throughout the U.S., make sure that it's being followed. That can make a big difference to water quality in a lot of areas. And what sorts of uh, changes are have more leverage than others for water policy? I think the overriding change that the Biden administration could make that would impact water policy is an emphasis on long-term impacts. That will bring in the impacts of climate change. It will bring in environmental resources. 
we would rejoin the Paris Climate Accords. We would rethink some of the Trump administration policies that emphasize short-term energy development to the expense of environmental resources. If we take long-term impacts into account on the environment, on water, on equity in terms of access to resources, I think that shifts the mindset on a lot of the different regulations, executive orders, directives that have come out in the Trump administration that have focused more on short-term benefits to energy producers, uh, to other individual sectors, we would reshift and look at how various projects and proposals are going to impact our entire economy and our entire population over the long term. All right. And Heather, what keystone changes do you see? One of the things I, I would really like to see is a, a U.S. water plan that, that outlines a clear and consistent national water strategy. You know, we know water is important for public health and the environment and our economy, but we have no national strategy ar around water. Um, and, and in fact, water management is spread out among more than 20 federal agencies. There, there is no sort of Department of Energy sort of equivalent. And so I think there is an opportunity to create a, a new National Water Commission. Uh, we haven't had one uh, in nearly 50 years. <laughs> and the commission can evaluate and recommend specific federal actions and policies to improve national water policy. You know, I think it should address a range of water challenges. Some of the ones we've, we've talked about, climate change, the racial injustices, inequities around water infrastructure needs, uh, the environmental needs. It should be nonpartisan and consist, I think, importantly of scientists, which have been sidelined, obviously, over these past four years, um, as well as some legal and policy experts, and, and importantly, non-governmental and community groups that can really speak to the on-the-ground realities facing American communities. So, you know, while it's not sort of a singular sort of action, um, I do think it can help lay out a longer-term strategy to help solve some of these very critical issues around water that we're facing. All right. You've given us a pretty good scorecard to keep track for the Biden administration. We'll be watching to see how many of these things come to fruition and where the pinch points are. I want to thank again the three guests today. We had Heather Cooley, Ann Castle, and Eric Schaefer. Thanks to y'all. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks so much. That was Circle of Blue reporter Brett Walton in conversation with water experts on what a Biden administration might mean for federal water policy. And I'm Eileen Ray McCann for Speaking of Water from Circle of Blue, your source for independent water news and analysis. Please visit us at circleofblue.org where water speaks. <laughs> <laughs>